when I meet people and they ask me, what do I do for a living, I've got to be honest with you. I often want to lie. I never have, but I've been tempted to so many times. Because I can be having a great conversation with somebody, and you just got kind of flowing along, and then they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And every time I say that, immediately the conversation changes. It goes generally in one of two directions. We could have been talking about just anything regular, and as soon as I say that, it turns into this hyper-religious spiritual talk. Oh, well, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, glory to God, I'm a Christian too, Brother Craig. Okay. The other way is if they're not a Christian, the conversation just tanks. I mean, it just goes south. It crashes. I mean, we're getting along. We're having a good time. So what do you do for a living? Well, actually, I'm a pastor. Oh. I had a guy that we were just talking. Great time. Getting along great. He said, asked me. I said, pastor. And he said, oh, well, no offense, but I'm not a religious person, and I don't really like religious people. I said, that's awesome, because I'm not a religious person, and I don't really like religious people either. And he looked confused like many of you. I said, no, really. I mean, I don't, religious people, they truly drive me crazy. And he's like, how can you be a pastor and not like religious people? And I try, tried to explain to him what I'll try to explain to you, and that is, God did not send his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life, bore the penalty for our sin, bled and died, rose again from a cross. Jesus did not come to make us religious. In fact, the root word for religion, it literally means a return to bondage. Jesus did not come to make us religious but he came to set us free. In fact, in its essence, Christianity is not a religion. In its essence, it is a relationship with a living God. He sent Jesus to reveal himself to us so that we could know him, be transformed by him. In its essence, Christianity is not a religion, but instead it is a relationship. Today, I want to talk to you about the danger of toxic religion. As we wrap up our series called Toxic, let's one more time go over our working definition for the word toxic. What is toxic? Toxic is anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. It's anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. If there is anything causing all sorts of spiritual sickness around the world today, it is toxic religion. It's the purity of the message of God perverted and polluted by religion. In fact, let me give you an example. If you have your Bibles with you or you want to uh, log on to version to the book of Galatians chapter 1, I want to show you one of the most powerful examples of toxic religion. Let, let me give you the context. Uh, the Apostle Paul was in many ways a church planter. 
He would go into a community. He would lead people to Christ. He would raise up leaders. He would start a church. He would empower them. They would carry on the church, and he'd go and duplicate what he did there in other communities. Then he'd check on them and write letters to them. And he did this in Galatia where a great church was born, and then he left. And behind him came a group of people that were known as the Judaizers. And what they did is they, they basically said, well, Paul, you know, he's okay, but he doesn't understand the whole message like we do. And so the Jesus thing that he told you, that's good and everything, but to be right with God, you need Jesus and you need to be circumcised. In other words, you have to still obey the full Jewish law. The Judaizers came in and said, Jesus plus men, if you want to be right with him, you need to be circumcised which created, as you can imagine, a lot of tension for every grown male, non-circumcised guy alive. Okay? And to me, I'm thinking of this from a very practical standpoint. I mean, I, I would just hate to have to introduce that into our church culture. I mean, gentlemen, let's just be honest. It's really difficult to get most of you to even be baptized. I mean, we're talking, you get wet. Boop, boop, done. Imagine at the end of the service today, I'm like, okay, man, you want to be right with God? I pull out a scalpel. Come on forward, drop them, and I'll help you get close to Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a lot of tension. And so Paul is furious, and he's unleashing on the Galatians. And why are you believing this false religion. Here's what he said, Galatians 1, 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished. In other words, I'm, I, I'm just shocked. I'm beyond words. That you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to do what? All of our locations, help me out. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the Greek word that's translated as pervert, if you're taking notes, it can mean to pervert, or it can mean to corrupt, or to distort, or to poison. Here's what was going on. They were taking the purity of the gospel and poisoning it with religion, Christ plus something else. What, what I want to do for a few moments is talk to you about the two most common ingredients of toxic religion. Anytime you see a toxic religion, you're going to see these two elements. The first one, if you're taking notes, toxic religion, it focuses on the external rather than the internal. It's, it's an outward expression rather than an inward transformation. It's look at how I perform. Basically what it is, is it's an outward effort to close the gap between sinful man and holy God. It's an outward effort to close that gap. It's reducing Christianity to a bunch of rules. It's, it's bringing Christianity down to just a list of do's and don'ts. And this is so common. It was even very common in the day of Jesus. There was a group of people that were very religious, very outwardly expressive. They, they were known as the Pharisees. And quite honestly, they lived a pretty upstanding life. As Christians, we have the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees, they had 613 commands they lived by. They memorized 
every single one of them, and they did their best to outwardly live these commands. But the problem was it was more of an external faith and it wasn't internally real, and Jesus despised this type of religion. In fact, you can see him just unleash on the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 25. He unloads and says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you play actors. He said, you clean the what? Help me. He said, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. The Pharisees were all about the look that they would pray on the street corners loud and long. Oh, dear God. And everybody, listen to how, how righteous I am as I pray. When they'd go to the temple, they would take their offerings and hold it up for everybody to see before they put it uh, at the altar. Look at how much money I give. They would dress in such a way. Look at how holy I am. Look at who I don't hang out with. I don't hang out with those people. You see, I am outwardly religious. And Jesus hated this. In fact, in so many ways, Life Church was born out of uh, my reaction to outward religion. I grew up in that kind of external show. In fact, when I was in my early 20s, I was serving at a great church for five years, but because I wasn't the senior pastor, I didn't preach on the weekends, and so occasionally I would fill in for other friends, and I was speaking for a good friend on the south side of my town. Uh, it was a, a, a small church, and they had, they had two services. One was small, and the other was smaller, and so uh, I did the first message, and the place was really just kind of dead. I was telling this funny story. Somebody say, well, you think you're funny and you're not. Point taken. But I, was, this one was really funny and nobody was laughing. And there's this one guy sitting on the second row and he just, he turned red and I could see this vein pop out. And I was like, what's wrong with him? And afterwards he came up and he said, young man, that was the funniest story I've ever heard. You almost made me laugh in church. Why didn't you? Well, you know, we don't laugh here. And so, you know, we got through with one service, and the receptionist came up to me, and she said, oh, Craig, this is so exciting. We're going to have a visitor at the next service. We're going to have a visitor, which was very rare, obviously. I'm like, how do, you, how do you know? And she said, the phone rang, and there was this lady, and she said she's really hurting, and her life's messed up, and she felt like she should just go to church, and she didn't know where to go. She'd never been. She went through the phone, and she just called us here, and we've got a visitor. You better do good. And I'm like, okay, great. And so we were standing outside greeting people as they came in. I was with the vein guy who was helping me greet, and sure enough, the visitor drove up. You may say, well, how do you know that was her? I'm telling you, it was obvious. Everybody else was dressed in church clothes and had their 18-pound Bibles, and she got out looking like she'd just come from a very hard, long party. You know, not dressed like a church lady at all. And she, her body language showed she was nervous. She's kind of looking up the church, and she was walking toward us. And I was about to welcome her, and vain guy stepped in front of me and said, young ma'am, at our church, we wear our best for God. Is that the best outfit you have? This lady turned around, got in her car, and drove off. And I'm telling you, at that moment, something snapped inside of me. And I promise God, if I ever have a chance to lead a church, that will never, ever, ever happen under my watch because Jesus would never 
turn someone away because of the clothes they were wearing. I'm telling you right now, if you're not religious, if you are religious, if you, if you got a lot of money or no money, the right labels, the wrong labels, no labels at all. Black, white, yellow, orange, purple skin, highly educated, not educated, you are welcome here, you are welcome here, you are welcome here, no problems at all, all sorts of kind of problems, you are welcome here. You may say, well, I don't have church clothes, I don't have church clothes. We have one dress code at Live Church, and that is, please do, <laughs> cover your privates up, get yourself in here. Jesus is not about the external, it's all about the internal, but when you slip into a religious mindset, it's all about the show. It's, look at me, listen to me, and Jesus hated that. That is toxic religion, and that is turning people away from God when Christians misrepresent the purity of the gospel, Jesus hated it, and it is destructive. Toxic religion, it focuses on the external rather than the internal. The second thing it does, if you're taking notes, is this. It also promotes spiritual pride, doesn't it? It, it makes us feel like we're better than everyone else. We're right and everyone else is wrong. And again, Jesus despised this. In fact, he told a story specifically for the benefit of those people who were proud of their religion and righteousness. Here's what he said, Luke 18, verse 9 and following. He said, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you don't know about tax collectors in this time, they were the most despised people in any community. They were known as the most corrupt. In fact, they basically had a, a license to steal. They, it, let's say you owed $1,000 in taxes. Well, the way it was set up, if they could come and tell you you owe 1300 and convince you you did, they could take and pay the government 1000 and keep 300 for themselves. And that's what they did all the time. So they were hated, they were very corrupt, and very unrighteous. So you got this Pharisee religious guy and this very corrupt tax collector. And the Pharisee, verse 11, stands up and prays about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. In other words, I am right, and they are all wrong. It's this religious, spiritual pride. I've got it figured out. The problem with spiritual pride is it's almost impossible to see in the mirror, because when you're convinced you're right, that everybody else is wrong, and it's so easy to look down on everyone else, and, and it, it turns people away from God all the time. I'll give you an example. This guy one time came and uh, just knocked on my front door. I opened the door, and he was there to share his faith in Christ with me, and I thought, that's pretty cool. I've never seen anyone do this, so I'll just give him a shot and see how good he is. He started in telling me, you know, about Jesus, and finally I felt guilty, and I said, I, gotta, I just got to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I, I just thought it was cool you're here. I said, I, I'm a very committed Christian. He's like, oh, praise God. That's awesome. He said, you got to come to my church. My church is the best church in town. It's the best church. I said, man, I would love to come to your church, but again, I've got to be honest. I'm pretty involved. 
in my own church. He's like, oh, that's cool. Well, what church do, do you go to? I said, well, I'm actually a part of, of a church called Life Church. And when I said this, his countenance changed. He, said, oh, he got this concerned look on his face. And he looked over his shoulder. He said, you go to Life Church? I said, yeah. He said, well, my pastor says your pastor doesn't preach the truth. I said, tell your pastor he needs to be circumcised, and I volunteer to do it. <laughs> I didn't say that, okay, but I, I, I wanted to. And, and I'm, again, what, why is it that so many non-religious, non-Christian people despise Christianity? One of the reasons is because Christians can't even get along with each other, and then they look down on everyone else. It's this hypercritical, hypocritical, joyless, cynical, we're right, everyone else is wrong. And I just want to make a very public statement to our church that we are for other churches. If they criticize us, and they will, don't defend anything. We don't have to justify and defend anything. We're just going to be for other churches. As long as they preach the gospel of Christ, believe God's word, doesn't matter about style. Stupid. I mean, it's like, well, our pastor is an expository teacher. That's the way to do it. No, it's not. Jesus didn't do that. Well, our pastor's topical. That's the best way. That, no, it's not. That's just a way. Well, you know, but we have organ music, which everybody knows pleases God most. No, it doesn't. We have, you know, smoke and fog, and that's the best way. No, it's not. Well, we dress our best. Well, we dress casual. Well, we do communion every week. Well, we speak in tongues. You stole my Honda. You know, it's, and you're wrong, and we're right, and we're Catholic and do this, and, and you get over style. Get over style. Style and packaging doesn't matter. It's the message. Don't look down on anybody. Don't have religious, spiritual pride. If you believe in what God is doing here, great. But don't you dare think it's the best or only way to do church. It's just a reflection of who we are and who God's called us to be. And we are for other churches. We are not against them. Religion, toxic religion, it puffs up makes you spiritually proud. We're better and they're worse. And, and the non-Christian world looks on and goes, why would I want to be a part of such miserable, joyless, hypocritical people? Because Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He came to set us free, full of joy, full of life, full of victory, unity, love, compassion for one another. Toxic religion, it poisons, it destroys. So take a step back. We're not going to embrace toxic religion. Instead, what we're going to do is sell out to the purity of the gospel. The word gospel, it literally means good news. It is the best news that you will ever hear. Some of you, you grew up around the church like I did, and you never understood the gospel like I did. And others of you, you're not a churchy person at all, and you, you, you don't quite understand what's going on. I want you to hear as clearly as I can present it, the purity of the gospel, why God sent Jesus, not to make us religious, that's a return to bondage, but instead to set us free. So we'll look at three verses, and then I'll unpack it in three very simple, easy to understand thoughts. Romans chapter 3, 20, 21, and 22, my favorite and most simple verses to understand the good news. Paul said, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, 
a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let's break it down. Three things. Number one, understand you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You cannot work your way to God. Religion says you can please God by your external works. You're right with God by what you do or you don't do. I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run who girls with, with girls who do. I must be right with God. I don't go see rated R movies. I read my Bible. I give money. I don't cuss unless I hit a bad golf swing. But, you know, I... I I am right with God by what I do. That's what religion says. Romans 3.20 says this. Help me, everybody, aloud. Therefore, how many people? Say it aloud. Therefore, again, all of our campuses, everybody in. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. You can't do it. You cannot work your way to God. Then why the law? Why do we need the law? Thought number two. The purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior. That's why the law is there. Romans 3.20, again, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, help me again, through the law, what happens? The Bible says through the law we become conscious of our sin. Let's just take the Ten Commandments. Have any of you ever told a lie? Guilty. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Anybody ever lusted? Jesus said, if you lusted, you commit adultery in your heart. Anybody ever coveted something, envied something, wanted what your neighbor had? Anybody ever uh, put something ahead of God? Idolatry, the number one. W -w what does that do? That didn't go, oh, I've done all these check, 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 check. I'm good enough. What the law does is said, oh, I am bad. I'm a sinner. It shows not that you need religion. It shows that you need a Savior. The law reveals your need for a Savior. You cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. The law shows you your need for a Savior. Number three, and here is the good news. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It is Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus circumcision. Not Christ plus church membership. Not Christ plus how much money you give. Not Christ plus how you behave. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Romans 3.22. The righteousness from God comes through what? Say it aloud. Through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? To all who believe. Does all include a doubter? Does all include a bad sinner? Does all include someone who really messed up? Does all include someone who grew up in church? Does all include someone who didn't grow up in church? All includes anyone who puts their faith in Christ. They will receive the righteousness of God and they will be totally forgiven. Righteousness with God comes through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Let me explain it this way. Uh, for five years before starting Life Church, I had the honor of serving at one of the one of my favorite churches in the world. It was it was a very traditional church, but very biblical. And so, because it was traditional, we had up front. Maybe some of you have seen this, where the pastors would sit. They had thrones. Anybody ever see the thrones? They're, they had four of them. They had two in the middle that were king size thrones, big, honking, important looking thrones. Then on both sides, they had junior thrones. Little bitty thrones for junior pastors. And if you were ordained, which I told you last week, I was not ordained. I did not glow in the dark. 
I do now, but at the time I didn't. And if you were ordained, you got to sit in the king-sized throne and you got to have a robe with ordination stripes. Cocky, beautiful, holy-looking ordination stripes. If you were not ordained, as I was not, we had these dirty-looking, old, pathetic, stripeless robes. They looked like 40-year-old choir robes. And so I wore my stripeless, dirty choir robe sitting in the junior throne while the important guys sat in the other place. And every week I'd sit there, and as our pastor would preach, I would do kind of what our campus pastors probably do. I mean, honestly, they'll hear me speak six times on the weekend, and probably the first two or three, they're kind of into it. Four or five, they've heard that story. They're probably texting their wife, what's for lunch today? And that's just kind of what I was doing. I was, I'd heard it several times. I'm sitting there, leg crossed, listening, you know, and I was kind of, I'd say, amen, good preaching at the right time, because that was my job. Uh, but I noticed my legs started to fall asleep. And so I thought, that's kind of cool. I've never happened before. So I just tightened my grip around. I'm going to see how asleep I can make this thing. <laughs> and I, I just, it started to get that tingly feeling and it, like needles shooting through my butt. You know, it's like, it's like asleep, asleep. Like, wow, that's awesome. Sure enough, Pastor Nate, my pastor, in five years of work with him, he never did this before and never did it since. In the middle of my whole butt and leg being asleep, he said, hey, Craig, would you stand up for a second? (laughs) So I'm standing up, like, this kind of thing. What are you doing? My my leg's asleep. And and so he's like looking at me funny. Here's what I want you to do. He said, can you tell me, is your robe nice looking? I said, No. He said, is your robe dirty? I said, yes. He said, is my robe nice looking? I said, yes. Is my robe beautiful? I said, yes. He said, let me show you what Christ did for you. He said, take off your dirty robe. And I unzipped my robe and took it off. And he took his beautiful robe and he said, when Christ died for you, he clothed you with his robe of righteousness. And he put his robe on me and said, this is how God now sees you. He no longer sees you as dirty and filthy and a sinner. Because of your faith in Christ, he sees the robe of righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ surrounding you. It's not based on what you do or have done. It's based on what Jesus did. Christ's righteousness has become your righteousness. You are clothed with the robe and the righteousness of Christ. When you believe, that's why it's the good news. That's why it's not religion. Jesus did not come to make us religious where you return to bondage. Religion is all about me. Relationship with Christ is all about Christ. Religion is all about my external works. Relationship with Christ is all about his perfect work. You could spell religion D-O. It's about what you do. Relationship with Christ is spelled D-O-N-E. He did it all. It's been paid for. Relationship says I obey God because he loves me. Religion says if I work hard and perform for him, then he might love me me. Relationship says I am who I am because of his goodness. Religion says I'm trying to prove who I am by my performance. Now some of you, I know what you're going to think. Well, if you just tell people that they're right with God by faith in Christ, then they can do whatever they want to do. No, that's missing the entire point. When you realize who he is, 
the Son of God, and what he's done for you, that he was without sin, that he bore the pain of our sin, that he became sin, that he shed his blood and died and rose again. When you realize what he has done and who he is, your only reasonable response is, take my whole life. Take my whole life. Not out of a religious effort to please him, but out of a response to his goodness, his holiness, and his love. People hate religious people, holier than thou, hypercritical. It's all an outward show. The Pharisee said, look at me, look how good I am. I thank my God I'm not like him. The, the, the tax collector, you know what he did? He did what I hope you do. Where you don't think you're something hot and special, but instead you realize, I am messed up. And you're authentic and transparent of your deep and genuine need for a Savior. And here's what he did. In his humility, verse 13 and 14 of Luke 18, the tax collector, the Bible says, stood at a distance. He didn't even get up close. He's hanging back at the back. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's what Jesus said. Check this out. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the self-righteous, hypocritical, and religious Pharisee, this man, the tax collector, the sinner, went home justified before God because Jesus did not come to make you religious. He didn't come to take you back to a performance bondage. He came to set you free. Christianity, in its essence, it is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God through his son Christ, empowered and made alive through the Holy Spirit. And when you get that, you will never be the same. All of our locations praying together. Father, would you, would you pierce us with the truth of your gospel and clear our minds of the pollution of toxic religion. As you're praying today, all of our locations, um, I'm just curious, how many of you, and be really honest, how many of you at some point have maybe been hurt by toxic religion, judgmentalism, hypocriticalism, maybe by a church or Christian? How many of you say I've been hurt by that? Raise your hands up right now. Raise them up. A bunch of you. How many of you would say maybe, uh, maybe you grew up like I did? I was always afraid I'd never be good enough. In the, in the church world, we call it works righteousness. We think if we work hard enough, we can be righteous with God. I always felt very unworthy. I felt un, unloved. I, I wondered where do I, I was always afraid that I, I never quite knew where I could stand with God. If that's you, would you lift up your hands right now? Just lift up your hands right now. Father, I pray for these two groups. God, first for those who've been hurt. God, I know so many people will reject you because they've been hurt by those who call themselves your people. And I pray, God, that we could separate the hurts from a church or from people, separate that from you, and realize people are not you. God, for those who've been hurt, I pray for healing. And God, I, I know as imperfect as I am in the church, I know I've hurt people. I know people have been disappointed in me. God, I, I know that we, it's so easy to get hurt by those who call themselves Christians. A business deal didn't work out or someone didn't keep their word. God, keep us from rejecting you because of what someone did. Bring healing in our hearts. God, for those who are stuck in a performance mindset, in a legalism, in a works righteousness, 
I pray that the truth of your gospel would penetrate our hearts and we would never, ever be the same. As you keep praying today, I want to just, I want to talk directly to you. Just everybody listen carefully. Nobody moving around, nobody looking around. There are many of you, you've wondered your whole life, am I good enough for God? Where do I stand with God? Have I done enough good things and not done enough bad things? Am I okay because I go to church every now and then I try to help people, I'm not as bad as so-and-so? And the answer is no, you're not. None of us are good enough for God. You have to recognize that. The purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. None of us are good enough for God. So we often think, well, we'll clean our lives up, and we'll try harder, we'll hope for the best, we'll hope God grades on a curve. He doesn't. If we fail at any part of the law, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. We are guilty. That's why we need a Savior. That is the good news, that God so loved you that he sent Jesus, his only son who was without sin. He became sin for us. He was the lamb of God. He was the perfect and final sacrifice. He shed his blood so we could be forgiven. Many of you, you've doubted, you've doubted your standing with God for years. Some of you, you're like wild party person or you're not, you're not religious at all. But right now you're being drawn to God. You wonder what that is. That is the Holy Spirit of God. That's why you're here. And guess what? Today, no matter where you've been, how you've grown up, what religion you've followed or thought might be right, today you're hearing truth and you're being drawn to it. And what you're going to do is you're going to surrender. You're going to call on Jesus. Others of you, you grew up kind of around the things of Christianity like I did, but you've always wondered, you've always doubted, you've always feared. Today, you're going to settle the issue. You, it, here's the good news. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. And today, you're going to call and you're going to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, and you're going to be saved. Every sin you've ever committed is going to be forgiven. The Bible says you're a new creation. All the old is gone, and behold, the Bible says everything becomes new. That's why you're here today. All of our locations, those of you who would say, yes, I want to settle the issue, faith in Christ and Christ alone. I call on him, take all of my life. My only response to your goodness is to give you my whole life. Save me, I give it to you. That's your prayer today. Lift your hands high now, all over the place. Lift them up, leave them up high. Lift them up, leave them up. I want to see you face to face. All three of you right here, praise God for you, both of you here together. Thank you, God. Sweetheart right there, sir right here. I want to, I want to see your eyes right back over there. God bless you as well. I want to see you right back over here, sir. Praise God for you right back here toward the back. Let me see you. I want to welcome you. All three of you right here, ladies. Praise God for you, sir, right here. I surrender. Right back here in this middle section, both of you. Welcome into the family of God. Both of you right back over here. Welcome into God's family. Both of you right over here. Thank you, Jesus, for your work, your forgiveness. Others of you right here in the middle section. Take it all, Jesus. Take it all, Jesus. Take it all, Jesus. Take it all, Jesus. Right back over here. Right back over there, both of you toward the back saying, yes, I surrender. I surrender. Would you all together as the family of God pray with those around you? Just pray aloud. Pray, Heavenly Father, take all of my life. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. I believe you are enough. You died for me and you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit. My life belongs to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, go a little bit crazy worshiping the goodness of God through Christ. Well. Wow.